I, I'm going to I'm going to uh, reenact something, and I want to see. Uh, I, a couple of you are going to get this, but I want to see if you know what I'm reenacting. I know this should be wood, but I didn't have a wood one, so. Behave Ruth, exactly. I I knew some of you'd get that. Uh, it was October first, nineteen thirty-two, Game Three of the World Series uh, between the Yankees and the Chicago Cubs. It was the the fifth inning. The score the score was tied four to four, and Babe Ruth came up to bat. Uh, the the dugout, the Cubs dugout, began to harass him and began to. Uh, call him names. The stand, the fans in the stands around home plate, uh, joined in as well and began to holler at him. And, and Ruth just stepped into the batter's box and, and took the first pitch. The first pitch was a strike from, from the pitcher Charlie Root. And, and after that pitch, Ruth, it, it is, is said, stepped out of the batter's box with the bat on his shoulder, uh, kind of glanced at the Cubs dugout and stuck a finger out pointing to center field. He stepped back in the batter's box, dug in, and stood there and took strike two. After strike two, he repeated what he had done. He stepped out of the batter's box, kind of glanced with the, with a wry smile on his face at the, the guys in the dugout that were yelling at him, and again, pointed to center field before stepping back in the box. Root uh, wound up and threw him a curveball, thinking that he was going to fool him and strike him out. But but if you know what happened next, uh, Babe Ruth hit a towering home run to center field exactly where he had pointed to, some 490 feet. Now, if you don't know that, that is a long home run. The the, the ball flew well over the center field bleachers, and and Ruth had hit a home run. That that is what's what's called the the called shot. Ruth called the home run uh, before he actually had had done it. Now. Some of you got it. I, I didn't know this. Does anyone know what Root, Root stayed in the game for one more pitch? Does anyone know what happened on the next pitch? No one. I, I didn't either. Uh, next pitch, Lou Gehrig hit a home run to right field, but he didn't call it out. Uh, uh, I I don't know if you know this, but I was there. I was there that day. Now, some of you are think, doing quick math and like. Okay, yeah, you're probably old enough you were, but, but the, the reality is I, I, I wasn't born yet. Uh, the, the truth was my, my mom, who wasn't there either, was only 18 days old when the, this took place. But my grandpa, my mom's dad, my grandpa Hartman was there. He was sitting in the right field seats when, when this iconic play in baseball history took place. At least that's what he told me. He told me the story that, and he said, yeah, uh, Tim, I was in right field. Now, now the truth is, history kind of tells us this, if everyone who claimed to be at that game that day were actually there, the Cubs would have sold over a million tickets for that game because a lot of people actually weren't there. So, so I'll be honest, I don't really know if my grandpa Hartman was there or not, but, but he was living in Chicago at the time. And he was working downtown at a hospital at the time, and and he was a Cubs fan, and he used to go to Cubs games at Wrigley Field, and and, and so if he really was there and wasn't just pulling my leg, if he was, 
sitting in the stands in Wrigley Field that day, then for one of the most iconic plays in all of baseball history, he was a witness. Now, I wasn't there, but I heard it from someone who was. We've been talking about what can I be. In fact, we're going to finish up the, today and next Sunday uh, on, on the same same idea, the same point. We'll look at it two different Sundays. Uh, but one of the things that that we're charged to, to be, one of the things that comes directly from, uh, we'll, we'll see in Scripture today, directly from Jesus is that we're called to be a witness. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I'd encourage you to leave uh, your Bibles open to Acts. We're going to look at a couple other uh, sections in Acts as well, uh, as well as some other verses. So keep your Bibles open. If you don't have one, there's in one in the pew back uh, in front of you. So if you're at home as well, grab your Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 1. We're just going to look at one verse, but a powerful verse. Verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We've been talking about what can I be. Uh, uh, several weeks ago, the start of January, we talked about we can be a student, uh, and we should be a student of God's Word. We should let God's Word into our life. We can be holy. As hard as that is, as, as daunting as that might be, we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be holy. We're called to be the change. No matter how, how big or even how small, we can do things that make a change, whether whether it's just an act of, of grace or an act of kindness, we can be the change. We're called, we talked about this last week, we're called to be religious. Not in the, not in the sense of, of ceremonial things. Those are okay, but that's not what we're called. We're called to be, uh, to be religious in a transformational way. And today we'll see as well as next week that we're called to be a witness. We'll look at three things. Today we're just going to look at one of those. Three things that we need to do to be a witness. So, so to be a witness, that's what we're called to be. To be a witness, you need to be a witness. Uh, my, my grandpa Hartman, uh, was a witness. He saw it and then he told me about it. So, so when Jesus spoke here in Acts chapter one to his apostles, he told them that they were going to be witnesses of, of him. Uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. So let me let me ask a question here. This should be an easy one. This is not a trick question at all, but let me ask this question. We start out. How many of you have ever heard about Jesus? Okay, it's, yeah, it's not a trick. How many of you how many of you heard that Jesus lived a sinful life or ooh, ooh, stop the tape, edit that out, a sinless life. A sin, you guys were listening, that's good though. Uh, you, Jesus lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and then came back to life. How many of you heard that? You, you know why you heard that? Because the apostles did what Jesus told them to do. We have heard that because they became a witness. They did exactly what Jesus called them to do. If we're going to be witnesses to the world of who Jesus was and what Jesus did, we have to be a witness. And and here's the first thing: we have to be a witness of His life. Now, let me be let me be upfront. Let me be honest. Just kind of make sure we understand. In in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus 
Jesus is, first of all, first and foremost, talking to the, uh, the apostles. So the first, the first layer of application here is that he's talking directly to the twelve. That they are going to be the witnesses. Now that doesn't mean that, that we don't take encouragement or some sense of responsibility or instruction or direction from th- these verses. We'll, we'll look at that a little bit later on. We're, we're called to be witnesses in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the worst, uh, uh, the world as well. But here in verse eight, specifically, he's talking to his, his apostles. So, to be a witness, you have to be a witness of his life. Jesus is instructing them. He's charging them, the apostles, then us. He's empowering them to tell people what they heard him say and they saw him do. If you have your Bibles, they're still open in Acts. Just flip over, uh, flip over a, a couple chapters to chapter four. Uh, in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, we're, we're going to see a an example of, of the very fact that they were doing what Jesus had told them to do. Now, let me set the scene. Uh, Peter and John had been arrested. They'd been thrown into jail because the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, were upset that they were talking about Jesus. And and, and then the Sanhedrin stood in front of Peter and John, and, and you can just imagine that they were furious. Their faces were red. If they were holding a staff, they banged it on the floor. Their, the veins in their neck were popping out. They probably were spitting saliva running down their chin, and they said, do not talk about Jesus anymore. We're warning you. Now, now look at what, what their response is. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They they had seen and heard what Jesus had done, and they were going to be a witness of that. Now, Now flip over one more chapter to chapter 5. In chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, uh, they were warned not to talk about Jesus. They they chose to listen to Jesus because Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. So they did that instead. They got arrested again. This time, not just Peter and John, but all the apostles. They got, they got arrested. Look at verse 27 in chapter 5. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We... <laughs> See their frustration. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, of course, because they were guilty of his blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We see that the second time. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. So, so they were telling him, don't talk about Jesus, and, and they're preaching a sermon to the, the high priest even as, as they're responding. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might be, he might be, bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are, catch this, we are witnesses. We are witnesses of these things 
we've seen and we've heard these things. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to be uh, to those who obey him. Know what he said. We are witnesses uh, of these things. We they, they were talking about what Jesus had done. They had seen it. They had heard it. They had experienced it. They'd seen... They'd seen Jesus' divinity and his power, and they'd seen his compassion and his grace. They'd seen him willingly go to the cross for their sin and for the sins of Israel, for the sins of the world, and they had seen him raised victoriously over over death and the grave. And they couldn't do anything else but tell others about that. Jeremiah puts it this way. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 says this, but if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The apostles had been a witness of Jesus' life. He had told them to be, to be witnesses and they were Doing it. So, so the primary target of, of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, uh, the, the specific target of these words were the apostles, but the, the secondary target, the, uh, the, the broader application of these verses is that it applies to us. It would be a short sermon today if we didn't realize that, that Acts chapter 1, verse 8 somehow brought us into the picture. Now, now, did you catch what, did you catch what, uh, what Peter and John and the apostles said in chapter five? I, I read that just a second ago. But if you have your Bibles, look over to verse thirty-two. Notice what he said in verse thirty-two, and and this pulls us into verse eight. This ties us to that that command to be a witness. Verse thirty-two says this: We are we are witnesses of these things. Now, now note, and so is the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of what Jesus did and said, and we're witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Notice that. Notice that Peter here uh, is saying it's not just the apostles who are witnesses, but he says it's also the Holy Spirit, and and, and he says. And everyone else who obeys. So, who's he talking about? Who, who has the Holy Spirit? Who was the Holy Spirit given to? Remember what Peter said back in Acts chapter two. Uh, so immediately after the the Holy Spirit came on them, they they got up and they began to preach a sermon. Peter preached the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter two, and and he he basically said what Jesus had done and. At the end of the sermon, uh, as it should be with every sermon, it doesn't happen very often, but at the end of that sermon, people just stood up and they, they shouted out to Peter, what, what must we do? What do we have to do to be saved? Do you remember what Peter said to him in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? We should know that here in the Christian church. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and do you remember what he said after that, what would happen? After you accepted Jesus, you called on Jesus' name, you were baptized, he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, 
So we are tied right back to verse 8 when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. So to be a witness, we have to be a witness. We have to be a witness of his life. So, so literally the apostles were a witness of his life. So, so how does it come then? How does it apply to us? Then we have to be a witness of his power. So, so we're his witnesses and we have to witness the power, his power in our life, which is the Holy Spirit working in us. Now catch this. Jesus is telling us to be a, to, to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and etc. Samaria and the ends of the world. We're called to tell others about Jesus. Now, now we didn't see Jesus. We, we, we didn't actually see Jesus. We didn't hear him like the apostles did, but we have seen and we have heard and we have experienced the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, so do you understand we are called to be witnesses in our Jerusalem? Now, now, literally for them, when, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was their, at least at that time, it's not where they were from originally, but that was their, that was their home. Uh, that's where they were going. In Acts chapter one, verse four, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem. This is right before he's getting ready to send into heaven. He's giving them instructions. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. And then later in chapter 1, verse 12, it says, after Jesus ascended to heaven, it says, they returned to Jerusalem. So so their Jerusalem was where they lived. So, so when this verse applies to us, when it says to you and to me, we see how it's, Scripture's tied to that, what's, what's our Jerusalem? Well, our Jerusalem is here. Our, our Jerusalem, we are called to be a witness in, uh, in Troy. Where's our Judea? Well, Judea was kind of the, the area around Jerusalem. It was kind of like the county or the, the, the region. So, so literally our Judea would, would be like Donovan County. Samaria was, was the next one up, a little bit further to the north. Samaria, Samaria really would be the places that we go, our, our workplaces, the places we shop. So, so uh, Kansas City and St. Joseph and Atchison and Hiawatha, uh, and, and then literally the world. We literally can take Jesus wherever we go. We can show his love, his kindness, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness wherever we are. Acts chapter 8 tells us that the church started to face persecution, and when they did, they scattered. And and chapter 8 tells us they went to Judea and Samaria, and we know from the history that they literally went to the world, and everywhere they went, they took Jesus. They didn't leave their faith back in Jerusalem. They took it with them. They didn't leave their story back in Jerusalem. They took it with them. I don't know if any of you have ever done this. I, every so often we get the, the, we get a, the weekly county paper, the Kansas Chief, and, and every so often you'll see a picture in the Chief, usually probably in the summertime, but someone will send in a picture and they will be on vacation somewhere. And, and it, they'll have a, they'll have a copy of the Chief and, and it will show where they are. Has any of you ever done that? Have you ever sent your picture in? Kevin, where, where'd you go? Italy. Okay. That's not even on my notes here, but I'll have to add that one. He was really showing off. So, uh, but, but what they, what you do is you, you send a picture. So I've been to, I, I've been to the Rocky Mountains. I'm in the Rocky Mountains and I took the chief. I, 
I'm, I'm on the beach in Florida and I took the chief. I'm in Cancun and I took the chief. I'm in Italy and I took the, the chief. Now, when Reed and I go on vacation, my wife packs so much, we don't even have room for a copy of the chief. So you're never going to see a picture of us with the, the chief, but, but, but you take it with you. Now, now do you realize that wherever we go, uh, school, work, shopping, vacation, Wherever you go, we take our witness. Jesus understood that in in uh, in uh, Matthew chapter five. I, I I find myself going back to these verses over and over again because I just love what he says in Matthew chapter five, fourteen to sixteen. Jesus says, "You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It was just a little over a year ago, in fact, probably um, a year and two weeks ago, that Reed and I were on a cruise. Um, it's hard to even think about a cruise. You still can't even go on cruises now, but... Uh, but we were on a cruise, and it was the last day of our cruise. We were, we were to be at sea that day, which is one of our favorite days. And uh, it was the last day, and I woke up, I don't know, about six or six fifteen, which I had during during the cruise. And 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 usually I'd get up and go walk, but as soon as I I woke up, something I could tell something wasn't right. Uh, you get used, especially after being on a cruise ship for a week, you get used to that general rock back and forth. And when I woke up, I, I could just tell that we weren't rocking anymore, and. And I, I, I could tell, I don't know how, but you just kind of get used to, I, I could tell that we weren't going very fast. And, and I heard some other noises, like I heard other, other sounds and, and cars honking and, and sounds of other, you know, boats. And I'm like, something's not right. So I, I pull back our, our curtains and look out. And I was shocked by what I saw. It, it caught me off guard by what I saw. But, but what I saw, I, I knew exactly what I was looking at. We were supposed to be in the middle of the ocean, nowhere near any kind of land. But what I saw was that we were in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Because what I saw was a hill. And on that hill was a fort. It, it's called Fort Moro. It's got a little bit longer name than that, but they, they, most people just call it Fort Moro. And, and it, it, it stands over Puerto Rico, the San Juan Bay as you come in and, and, and there out my window, I looked and there was the fort. We, we weren't supposed to be there. We, we're supposed to be in the middle of the ocean, but, but the fort was there and, and I knew what it was because we'd been there a couple years before, probably four or five years before we'd spent a couple days in, in San Juan and we'd walked up to that fort and I'd stood up on top of that, that fort where the cannons would have sat to protect the harbor as Spain would have protected San Juan. And I'd walked out in the observation posts that kind of jut out from the edge of the fort and stood in those. They were kind of nasty, but I stood in those. And, and, and so as we pulled in, I looked up and I saw that fort and, and I knew exactly where I was because I saw the fort on the hill. Jesus says, you can't hide a city or a fort on a hill. We, we are to be 
Jesus said it way back at the start of his ministry in Matthew 5, that Sermon on the Mount, and then he said it as as his last words of instructions before he ascended into heaven. He said, we are to be that city on a hill, that fort on a hill. We are to be a witness of what Jesus is so that when people look and see us, they know exactly what they're looking at. Let me ask this question. What do people see? What do people see when they see you? What do people hear when they hear you? What do people experience when they experience you? Do they see Jesus? Do they they see Jesus' love and forgiveness and kindness and grace and mercy? Do they see his joy and acceptance and compassion? Do they see Jesus' heart? See, when, when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, working to change us, to move us, to mold us, to be like Jesus. We're called to be a witness of that power to our world. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to read several verses, so keep up if you can. But Romans 1, 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Second Corinthians 10.4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We are called to be a witness of God's power, a power that changes us, that transforms us, a power that is there when things are going great and when things are are, are going tough, a, a witness of his power. So let me let me close. Let me let me bring this this first point to an end, and then we'll we'll finish this up next week as we see two more things that we're called to do to be a witness. But we're called to be a witness uh, uh, of his life, of his power, but also of his passion. We're called to be a witness of and really because of his passion. Uh, oftentimes when, when families uh, or when a person has surgery, I'm, I sit with the family during the surgery. Sometimes I'm there for the whole surgery, sometimes just for part, for part of it. But, but I'm wondering if any of you ever thought about it. You will after I tell this story. I wonder if you've ever thought what, d- during your surgery, you're back there and you're under anesthesia and, and the doctor's doing whatever they're doing. Have you ever wondered what your family and your minister talk about out in the waiting room? Well, I'm going to tell you a story about one such event. Uh, we had a little lady in our church at, at Rushville. Her name was Bertie Bell Bishop. Now, you, you can tell by that name. She was, she was from a different era. Bertie Bell Bishop. She was about this tall and about this wide, but she was the, she was the sweetest woman. And she was having surgery. So I was sitting in the waiting room with her husband, TC, or Tommy, and Tommy's sister, sister-in-law to Bertie, Ann. And so, 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 you want to know what we, we talk about? I guess you assume that we pray. Well, well, we do that and we pray without ceasing, uh, at least kind of, we're in an attitude of prayer, but we don't, we're not sitting there the whole time on our knees, just in case you thought that. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you thought we talked about spiritual things and we're talking about holy things. Well, 
kind of comes up on occasion. But you know what we were talking about that day? Birdie's back in surgery. I'm there with Tommy and Ann. You know what we were talking about? Fried chicken. I don't know how we got on the subject. I, I don't know where it came from, but something was said, and I remember saying, I love Bertie's fried chicken. Bertie Bell was, uh, uh, and, and, and it was great. Now partly, partly it's because they raised their own chicken. So a lot of times the chicken was, was fresh right before it got cooked. And, uh, but her chicken was amazing. I'd eaten at their house a few times and, and every time we had a church dinner, she would bring her fried chicken. You just prayed there was a couple pieces of that left when you got through line. I, I always wanted to be first in line, but I felt as a minister I should wait at least to be second or third, but uh, usually I was later than that. But you just, there were times I was tempted to hide her chicken in the back till you know, till we were done and then put it out and then I can go, I'm last in line. Oh, there's chicken. And, uh, but oh, her chicken was amazing. We began to talk about that. And finally, Ann, Ann said this. She said, Tim, do you, do you want to know why her fried chicken is so good? Now, I immediately said, yes. Now, the truth is, I didn't really care, as long as she made her fried chicken. Now, Ann could have said, well, she sprinkles marijuana. Uh, she sprinkles a little cocaine in her fried chicken. And I would have said, well, if she brings it, I should eat it. It's the least I could do. I'd be rude not to. I didn't really care, but, but I said, yeah, what, what is it? And Ann said, now, anyone want to guess what the answer was? Love? Lard. Who said lard? Abby said lard, good, good answer, Abby. Ann said lard, not love, lard. I'm like, oh, and, and I kind of acted like I knew what lard was. I kind of knew what it was. Finally, I said, well, what's lard? And, uh, and, and Tommy and them be, and Ann began to talk, oh, and, and as they, as they talked about it and explained it, their eyes, their eyes got big and they, they, they smiled and they were, they were remembering back when they were kids and they would, butcher a hog and they would take the belly fat of that pig and they would render it down and what was left over was lard and they were telling about that and they were just getting more and more excited you can see the past and finally out of nowhere Ann says this Ann says cracklins and and Tommy's like yeah and I'm like what's cracklins and and they tried to explain it's kind of when you rendered it sinks to the bottom and it comes to the top it's a little bit of flesh and and then you fry that and it's just oh it's kind of like pork rinds is it is it, the closest thing that we would have but probably better and oh they were so excited the guy sitting across from us that was not with us finally put his paper down and said you guys are making me hungry and but as we talked about that oh the passion as they remembered as their minds went back when they were kids and and it was butchering day and, and their, their mom would, would render the lard. And the reality is, I think Bertie and, and Tom did that some as well at their house. They would render that. Oh, they were so excited as they remembered. As we think of Jesus, as we think of his passion, it, it should inform and direct our passion. As, as we think what Jesus did, his love for people, his compassion for the hurting, his willingness to give everything, literally give heaven 
and give His life, when we think of His passion, it should direct our passion. And then, and then we become like Jeremiah, who said, it's like a fire. It's in my bones and I can't keep it in. Or, or we become like Peter and John and say, we can't help but speaking of what we've seen and heard. The passion Jesus has for us. The passion that He then gives to us as He transforms us must become our driving force as we become His witness. The witness of His life, what He literally did, the witness of His power to change us and the witness of His passion, His passion in our hearts. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank You that You call us to be Your witnesses. Lord, we pray today that You will help us be a witness be a witness of what Jesus has done in our life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are tied right back into uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right back to the challenge, the, the command that Jesus gave His apostles first. It's right back to us, Lord, that we are to be Your witness with our life. Father, help us be that. Whether Whether it's through the words that we speak, the responses that we have, the actions that we give. Lord, help us be a witness of Jesus in our life. We pray this in his name. Amen.